If this life is driving you to drink, you sitting around wondering just what to think. Well, I got some consolation. I'll give it to you if I might. You know I don't worry about a thing, cause I know nothing's gonna be alright. Hello, I'm Ellie Mayo Hagen. I am Owen Jones. And this is Agitpod. Nothing more to add to that. Yeah, just that we'll just stick to there because normally we have a comment on the regularity of our aforementioned podcast. To be honest, it's just a narket whenever whenever we can be bothered, really. But it has been quite regular lately. It has too regular for anything. People are fed up of listening to your voice in particular, apparently they're saying, out there on the street. So just repeating feedback. We both know that I'm not popular enough for people to have opinions on me. So <laughs> that's a lie. Right, okay, so we've got a very special guest today. Somebody who we're going to make feel old because basically our role as presenters is to make the self-confidence of our guests uh, just to trash it as best we can yeah we like to make sure it deteriorates <laughs> as the podcast goes people on. should always feel worse after leaving uh, than when we started no that's not true uh, he, very much like a marriage in that respect <laughs> it is we are proposing to him so uh, <laughs> he just thought he's coming around for a podcast uh, it is the wonderful marvellous John O'Farrell big oh. round of applause hey hello thank you very much for having me on um, to be here. who is a uh, brilliant writer very funny writer Writer, obviously, uh, lots of background in comedy, but he wrote fantastic books about being a Labour activist. Things can only get better, which I got as a little ne'er do well. I got it for my fifteenth birthday, I think. If you if you're asking. Oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I got your book about what's, what did it, what's it called again? The, the history it? one. Yeah. Natalie impartial history of Britain, or two thousand years of upper class idiots in charge. Yeah. So <laughs> just so you know, leftist parents all around the country have bought that for their teenage children. Fantastic. Convert them. I was actually a Tory beforehand. I was a hardened conservative. (laughs) So thank you, John. That's Uh, good. Thank you for buying my books or having them bought for you. But no, those books reached a wider audience than your usual political book. Um, My book about uh, you know being a Labour activist under Thatcher and Major. Well, that was that was a. I wrote that sort of speculatively, thinking that would just be for political anoraks like myself. But it was a big hit. It went to number one for six weeks. It was finally knocked off the top spot by Stalingrad, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. I think what happened was people read about my life being an activist under Thatcher and Major, you know, and then read Stalingrad to cheer themselves yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> Very similar, though. A yes, factory yes. onslaught. And, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, is, it was a very, very funny book. And let's just be brutally honest, books about politics aren't always... Mm. That hilarious. I think the best books about politics, though, are from the bottom, if you're not. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, Hillary Clinton's take or Tony Blair's journey, they have interesting bits in them if you're lucky, but the books like. I can confirm that Hillary Clinton's does books not, okay. are not interesting. I, do you know what? I must confess I haven't read that one, but. Don't, um, don't but things like Chris Mullin's book from the you know oh, yeah. from the backbenches, or even Alan Clark on the other side. Chris yeah. Mullin, we should say, is a former Labour minister. He was. Um, and, and, and Ken Clark is a Conservative. No, no, Alan Clark. Oh, yeah, Alan Clark, Alan, you said, sorry. Alan, he was a conservative Alan, too. Yeah. He Alan was Clark's, very much far more hardcore conservative but, than Ken but, Clark, in fact. But much more interesting books than, the, but, than those from the top, because I think they tend to be more honest. If you've not you know, been a prime minister or president, I think you write more honest books, and you can't get lower down the political uh, pecking order than me, you know, just uh, being a local organiser in Wandsworth or Lambeth. 
Uh, God, there is room to swing a cat in here. That's yeah, good. quite. <laughs> that's just just Keir. He's yeah, just commenting. He's just agreeing. He's uh, he's, very, he's very, often more sophisticated political commentary than I'm able to provide. Um, yeah, I mean, take his part. I mean, the the early eighties wasn't that much fun, was it? In lots of ways, uh, no. So, was no, a so well of time. That first book, things are going to get better, opens with me in nineteen seventy nine, standing as the school candidate for, in a sort of Tory town. Uh, when, in, the year that, in the election that Thatcher came to power. So I went from 17 years old thinking, well, never mind, we'll get back in next time. And uh, we lost in 83, we lost in 87, we lost in 92. And so by the time Labour finally won, I was in my 30s with two kids and a mortgage. And I never thought, you know, that it would take 18 years. It was unprecedented for Labour to be out for 18 mm. long years. Um, and it was a different sort of party to the one I'd been campaigning for. So that was a sort of twist in the tail, as it were, that the, the side I'd been campaigning for didn't end up being the winning sort of team that I'd first joined, and that involved a lot of compromising and soul-searching. So it was a sort of tainted victory in a sort of way. But I was happy to cheer along on May the 1st with everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just, it just reminds me of 2010 when the Tories got in, yeah. the coalition government, and, um, and I was like, well, we'll get them out in five years yeah. because mm. I, th- I was so horrified by mm. the idea of a Tory government, by the idea of austerity, that I was just like, well, clearly it'll only be five years and yeah. then people will realise how awful they are yeah. and then they'll leave. And I threw myself into becoming, I did join the Labour Party actually, and I threw myself into becoming an anti-cuts activist and did lots yeah. of direct action. And I just remember that night on 2015 was just... Yeah, that was so galling. Now, for me as an old man, that was just like 1992, because we had the promise of uh, coming back to power and the polls saying we can do it. And there's, it's just that little mean trick the polls do on you. It's like, we can do it, John. Yeah. Like the siren voices going, go on, read that populist poll again. Labour could forward a coalition with the Scottish Nationals. You know they could if you really believe it. And you build yourself up and you build yourself up. And then that exit poll happens at 10 o'clock and it's like having your, your stomach kicked out. It's like a, a life sentence. So your, your sentence is extended by five years. Yeah, but it's just yeah. it just hits you in waves because it's not just the immediate news that you've lost. It's just then you start to project forward about all the cuts that are going to happen, all the terrible decisions that are going to happen, all the division that's going to happen on our side and the difficulty of uh, regrouping and starting again. So that one moment sort of hits you in successive blows. You stood against Theresa May, our beloved Prime Minister. This is actually a uh, Theresa May... A fan free- cast. Fan cast. Yes. <laughs> we, we often just spend many, many of, the, uh, of the podcast hours just whiling away about our love for our beloved besieged Prime Minister. She's... she's you know, There's a framed picture of her in Owen's flat, actually. Well, five, actually. And uh, every morning I, I wake up and just give a little wink, and sometimes she winks back. No, so you stood against Theresa May. What year was this? This, Remind was, this was 2001. So I'd written that book, Things Can Only Get Better, and I'd been an activist at every level. I'd been a uh, ward organiser. I'd been assistant secretary in the constituency. I'd been you know, run the campaign. Um, and been a council candidate myself in Wandsworth and been defeated. And then that book gave me the opportunity to sort of do something more interesting. And I thought, well, I don't really want to get into the House of Commons particularly, but to go back to my hometown of Maidenhead and stand for Labour in a no-hope seat, that'd be an interesting way of spending the election. You know, it's a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. To go back to my hometown and be rejected en masse by the mm-hmm. people I grew up with. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's you know, something therapeutic about it. Yeah. So, um, I, but she was an unknown then. You know, she'd only been in the, uh, she'd only been in the uh, seat for, for, since 97. She was the chairman of the Tory party. Of course, you can't say chair. They think it's a piece of furniture or something. But um, <laughs> uh, I, um, and I stood against her and I thought, wow, this... 
she's not that impressive. I remember thinking she was perfectly pleasant and turned up to, uh, you know, school speech days and things like I did and uh, gave the various, you know, uh, the Tory line and didn't put a well-shoed foot in her mouth. But... You know, she had this line she would say, because I was on panels with her, and she would say, I'd, you know, she, she, the, 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 the Windsor and Maidenhead uh, Council were making cuts, and so she'd come in with some flack for that. And she'd say, well, the Conservative Council have had to make some very tough decisions. And then I was on a panel with her again, and she said, well, the Conservative Council have had to make some very tough decisions. And I thought, I know what she's going to say, so I'm going to get in ahead of her and see what happens. So I said, Theresa May will probably just say that the Conservatives have had to make some very tough decisions. And I just saw her face freeze, and I could see her brain go, oh, I've got come up with some original thought and, 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 and new sentence construction on the hoof. And she just couldn't do it. And she just went, well, the Conservatives have had to make some very tough decisions. And I thought this was just that she couldn't be bothered to make much effort because she was fighting me in a rock-solid Tory seat. And then we you know, scroll forward to 2015 and... Uh, 15, 17, 17, sorry, 2017, and find out that that is actually what she's like. She really can't. She is rubbish at campaigning. And uh, she didn't really have to campaign to be leader of the Tory party because the other candidates all stabbed themselves in the back and she had to sort of tread over the bodies of Gove and Johnson and uh, Andrea Lidsom. So, um, you know, the only votes she'd ever actually won were from the voters of Maidenhead. We've already established what terrible taste they have uh, when they rejected me. So, um, uh, so it was fascinating to see that firsthand early on mm. and then realise that really is the whole politician. You'd think they all have that sort of campaigning DNA in them, that sort of combative, debating talent, but she just doesn't have it at all. She's a manager. I thought she'd make a good... Head teacher of a small girls' independent school in Surrey. That's what. <laughs> that, or yeah. a border guard. A border guard. Oh God, yeah. yeah. No, I don't think she'd be. Con- she'd, she'd either actually... be a good head teacher, or she'd like be yeah. one of the staff members at Guantanamo Bay. Oh my God. Like either yeah. of those positions. But I think she's sort she of. She would do with decisive a enough about that. I think no. she does. That's like, the charisma. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the charisma of a, of a border guard. Uh, but the great thing about standing in Maidenhead is that my parents, my parents were still there, which is so I had my mum and dad coming to the meetings and prompting me and saying, "Why aren't you wearing a jumper and things?" And, um, when Nothing I was, like being heckled <laughs> by your own parents. I, know, well, I went on the, I went on the radio, BBC Radio Berkshire phone-in show and um, I was sitting there with a the Liberal on one side and the Tory on the other and this voter, this phone call comes through and I recognise as my mum. And my mum had rung up to say, I agree with John O'Farrell. And it was like, the host was like, on what issue? On all of them, on all of them, I agree with John O'Farrell. And I was like, mum, no, I'm 39, I can manage. They're, they're all against you, dear. I said, yeah, they're the other candidates. They're supposed to be against me, Mum. <laughs> my mum actually used to do that to me when I first became a journalist. That she yeah. would, um, well, first, actually... Nice comments all, under Yeah, no, she used to, first of all, denounce me for not being radical enough. Oh, wow, that's cool. In the comments. <laughs> but when she saw how much abuse I was getting, oh. then she started to um, anonymously... Oh, <laughs> when she, oh. she signed one, a relative. <laughs> and then another one, she wrote... Um, someone was having a go at me in the comments, so she replied to him and said... Um, are you always this rude, or you were just in, intimidated by someone with superior intellect? Oh, good day. Yeah. <laughs> good, good, good for her. <laughs> so your new book, which is Things Gonna Get Worse, question mark, well, which that's is very... a late edition, that question mark. <laughs> which is a relief, because there's loads of hope. Things can yeah. get better, actually, yeah. which we'll talk about. Um, but it's, it's very funny as ever, just so everyone should read it. It's coming out on paperback now. Yeah, the um, bit about the Metropolitan Elite made me laugh a lot. Talk about that, oh. come on. Oh, that was uh, me... Uh, well, what was interesting about um, going from the first book to the second book was the success of the first book sort of changed me into a Guardian columnist and a person who got invited to Checkers and, uh, you know, round to Downing Street. And suddenly I was in this sort of, found myself in this sort of club. Uh, so I write about the application to join the Metropolitan Elite as if you go to this sort of house in Hampstead and, 
talk about uh, private education and try and justify your house in Tuscany. Of course, I hadn't. Well, so I, I, I never made any of those choices, of course, but I joke about the actual um, the, the, the sort of people I found myself mixing with. Um, but yeah, that book takes us from where the old one finishes, which is May the 1st, 1997. But I look back at that from this perspective and it sort of goes, how the hell did that happen? How did we go from Labour with the massive majority with, uh, you know, uh, progressive values, sort of uh, hopefully, you know, on the ascendancy, uh, Clinton in the White House, you know, whatever you think of Blair or Clinton, they're, you know, not Trump and uh, Theresa May. So uh, and how do we go from there to Brexit, Trump, the, the, the poison and the xenophobia of uh, recent politics. What was that journey and what caused it and why weren't the left better at stopping it? And that's sort of my journey of campaigning, including standing against the Prime Minister in 2001, campaigning for Obama in 2008 and uh, being a by-election candidate for Labour in 2013. Let's at, talk at the beginning of the rise of, of, rise of UKIP. So the whole book covers this whole thing right up to uh, Brexit, Trump and the 2017 general election. The cat is currently trying to get into Owen's bag. Um, Keir has a particular obsession with bags. He's a bit actually like, in a, in a way, sticking his, sticking his head in a bag which he can't get out of, which is some sort of so metaphor for something in politics. I, I'll just let everyone use it. Yeah, he's. He, I thought we should tweet this. I mean, he tweet this image. This is cool. Keir, Keir is a celebrity socialist cat, by the way. He, <laughs> <laughs> Keir really is wrestling with the bag. He's panicking now. He's thinking, I'm, I got stuck in it. I'm not quite sure this is a great idea. Easily, because they actually, easily, was, I remember, ridiculous. They used a smear, they, they, they used a smear campaign against you using your first book. Yes, they, they found out, the Daily Mail found a secret out about me, which I'd published in a best-selling memoir. <laughs> which was number one for <laughs> six weeks. So what? yes, Eastley, uh, uh, that was that was a sort of, so when I went for the, um, in front of the National Executive Committee of the Labour Party, to, and they sort of said, is there anything in your past that, you know, uh, may uh, come out and embarrass the party? <laughs> and I, I scrolled through, I said, well, there's lots in my first memoir about me, you know, graffitiing jobs, not bombs on the banks and smoking dope and just being a general sort of uh, young troublemaker. And we said, oh, that's all in the public domain, don't worry about that. <laughs> I don't think the Daily Mail ever got that memo because they, they uh, first of all, they were uh, uh, wrote on the sort of Wednesday about my opposition to the Falklands War. So they got to about page 40 <laughs> in three days. And then by the weekend, they got another sort of 20 page on and they got to... Uh, the miners' strike, and when the Brighton bomb went off, I we should explain the Brighton bomb was a IRA bomb attack on the Conservatives in 1985 Tory conference. 1984, I think. Oh, 84, yes. sorry, yeah, 84. 84. And um, the um, yeah, as a 22-year-old in the middle of the most sort of divisive sort of period in British politics, and I wrote about that I, hate, I hated Thatcher so much it was unhealthy, is what I wrote, and that I hated her so much that I wanted her to die. And so the Brighton bomb went off, and I had this moment of going, God. I'll Hate her so much, I wish they'd got her, which is not a sensation I'm proud of. And I wrote down this as that saying political hatred is a bad thing. But these nuances, of course, didn't make the Daily Mail or the front page of the local paper where I was laughing in front of, I was laughing in front of the rubble of, uh, of, the, of the Grand Hotel. They actually got a photo of me outside. I don't remember going outside and laughing outside the hotel, but but anyway, I'd have all these people shouting, traitor, you should be hung at dawn. Really? Yeah, people, what in the streets? People yeah, in the street, angry. people were stopping their cars and really angry with me. In, 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 in Eastleigh, Eastleigh, yeah, Eastleigh, yeah, yeah, which was quite a uh, an education for the on the human psyche. Really. What was it like? I mean, being in in the midst of you know the most vitriolic newspaper in Britain. I didn't mind because I wasn't ashamed of anything I'd done. It wasn't embarrassing. They hadn't, I hadn't, you know, had an affair or hit someone drunk in the House Commons bar. I had been written an honest book, and people liked that book, and they liked the honesty in it. 
Uh, and at the same time, you had all the stuff about uh, Chris Hewn's affair and uh, 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 Lord Renard was going through the papers. And I was going, well, that's stuff to, you know, to, when you're going through the papers, you feel bad about. Uh, what I did feel bad about was that it damaged Labour's chances in that by-election, I think. so. You know, I mean, Labour were never going to win. They weren't going to win, but I was hoping that if people were going to protest about the coalition... It was Liberals and Tories, you know, were fighting each other and whilst in the same government. So maybe they could, uh, people could express their opposition to the government via the official opposition to the government. But they didn't. They went for UKIP and the UKIP breakout sort of started right there uh, when, when uh, Diane James came second and nearly won it. Uh, and so I came fourth, which is not, wasn't part of the plan. The idea was to have sort of someone that the journalists might have heard of. So I got, you know, a little bit of the debate. Um, so I felt like all those activists who were working really long days, I felt that they were let down by the baggage I brought with it, really. That's the thing I felt sad about, that we might have done a bit better. So, speaking of activists, yes, it's the local elections on the 3rd of May. Unfortunately, this podcast is going to come out after the deadline to register to vote. So we can't, well, it's gone. It's yeah, gone, yeah. So we can't make you register to vote. But we can encourage you to make sure you do vote if you have already registered and to canvass because you've been a Labour activist for a really long time mm. and lots of different iterations of the yeah. Labour Party. Yeah, I mean, I think I've got a very firm belief that, you know, being an activist and knocking on doors and doing the hard work really makes a difference because I've just seen it. I've seen us win seats that we worked hard in. Uh, you takes, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of people and it's fantastic that, you know, uh, there are so many people now knocking on doors for Labour and there's a huge groundswell of enthusiasm. But, you know, it's also, it's also a great thing to do. It's like cold water swimming. You sort of don't want to do it before you do it. But after you've done it, you feel great. You think, I've, you know, I've done something that might... might that's a good point, Kia. <laughs> um, <laughs> you feel great when you've done it and you, and you sit and watch that result come through. And um, you think, I made a difference there. I persuaded... Um, uh, a few extra voters. And sometimes you feel like you're not making any difference and you're putting leaflets through doors where there might be a thousand leaflets on the other side of the door already. But sometimes you get through to someone and sometimes somebody joins the party because you knocked on their door. Mm. So I went to, down to the Henley by-election, which is a few years back now, and the candidate said, I only joined the party because of you. He said, you got me with a leaflet outside made near a train station. And um, he said, and you made a joke about my Russian hat, and, uh, and I read your book, and I joined the Labour Party, and, and he actually finished fifth and scored Labour's lowest ever vote in by-election. So he really, <laughs> took, my, he really yeah. took my style well, to well heart. You. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think uh, the activism is sort of the, the, the heart and soul of what the Labour Party is about, really. And we only, we hear a lot from Westminster and the soap opera of the of Jeremy Corbyn and who's opposed to Jeremy Corbyn and who's in favour of him and what he said this week. But actually, out there across the country, there are councillors making a difference in communities. There are people getting them elected and councils making decisions on, uh, you know, services and schools. And that's really what the Labour Party, I think, is about. But we just don't hear so much about it. Funny campaigning stories. Funny campaigning stories. Oh, God. Well, let's talk about EC there with the... Um, with the uh, uh, Liberals and Tories being one one sort of government, but two candidates. We wanted to make a point about that, so we uh, we had this press stunt that was just sort of presented to me, where we'd uh, have two of our young enthusiastic sort of volunteers dressed as jockeys on inflatable horses, and so there would be a red 
uh, jockey for the Labour Party and a blue and yellow jockey for the coalition. And I was there with all the press and all the TV cameras going, it's a two horse race, you see, ladies and gentlemen, there are only two horses in this campaign. There's the government, the coalition, that's one horse. They've got it already. They weren't writing down anything else. And, and the Labour Party, your candidate, I'm your Labour Party candidate, that's the other horse in this two horse race. And so they were sort of taking their photos. And then um, I was aware of uh, the Labour uh, MP was looking after me. He was walking up and down on his phone looking very worried. And he was Going back to base, going, one of the horses is deflating. One of the inflatable <laughs> horses is going all soft and floppy. And the quarters were going, well, which horse is it? Which horse? He goes, it's the labour horse. The labour horse is going all soft and floppy in front of the press. And so the message comes through, puncture the blue horse. What? Puncture the blue horse? So it goes more soft and floppy than the labour horse. And I just thought that was a metaphor for sort of modern politics. I could imagine myself at a... Uh, you know, a press conference saying, yes, I'll admit that the Labour horse was floppier than we would have liked. But if you look at the government horse, it was even floppier, which is why you should vote for One Nation Labour and Ed Miliband as your Prime Minister. But So, yeah, you have these mad sort of things, situations you get put into. And you just have to sort of keep going. And, and, and as a candidate, you just have to be rushed around and be torn from one place to the other. So, yeah. But it's, it's a lot of it's a bit unexciting, knocking on doors, dropping leaflets off. But there's a great camaraderie when you've got a lot of people out there. And you meet a lot of nice people. And, you know, when I moved to Battersea, age 22, uh, Wandsworth, you know, borough, I got made all my friends there by, through the Labour Party, through activism. And uh, I, I tapped into all sorts of networks I never would have done otherwise. So at the moment, and one of the things, main things I'm working on is this so-called unseat campaign with Momentum. Um, and what, what, what we've been doing in terms of constituencies is going for places which used to be safe Tory seats, because the big story in the election, we obviously Labour won the Socialist Republic of Canterbury and the fantastic. People's Republic of well, Kensington. Fantastic. You know, seats Labour have never won before. But one of the other stories is what were safe Tory seats and our uh, marginal seats. So Boris Johnson. The Oxbridge, yeah, fantastic. You know, he's the joke without a punchline, but he his his majority went from 10,500 to 5,000. In Duncan Smith, he waged war against oh, disabled yeah. people oh, and low-paid workers. His majority went from eight and a half thousand to two and a half thousand. And what's interesting is we've been doing this, and now we're doing it for local elections. We're doing yeah. Wandsworth, Westminster, Trafford, Plymouth, Portsmouth, Barnet, you name it. But what's interesting about it is, firstly, we know it, it works yeah. this campaigning because Ian Duncan Smith, mm. uh, we this is uh, this is slightly tragic on his part. Um, there were these leaked WhatsApp messages from Ian Duncan oh, yeah, Smith. Yeah. Uh, a panicking about a unseat campaign, begging Tory activists to turn up under attack, under attack, saying, you know, we'll provide a free lunch, which is the only free lunch you'll get under the Conservatives, um, <laughs> scrapping it for everyone else, uh, but also, uh, you know, begging people to turn up for the photo. You don't have to canvas oh, to really? turn up for the photo. Oh, it's really embarrassing. But what, the other thing which I, I just find amazing about this is we get, each day we get hundreds, every time we do a campaign day, hundreds of people come out and campaign, but most of them have never knocked on a single door oh, before. Okay. And... It is this kind of confidence thing because people think it's really rude to knock on a stranger's but door you know and I'll get put on the spot. And yeah, yeah, but do you know what? There's a there's a culture in British politics where you somebody opens their door and they go, oh, it's this moment. It's this moment where somebody, I've seen it on the telly and I've seen it in my parents talk about it. It's this moment when somebody talks to me about politics and asks me what I'm going to vote. And I think people sort of welcome it. I think it's an incredibly sort yeah, of civilised... Yeah, like it. It's a really civilised thing we do to talk politics on the doorstep and... We should, you know, I always say, always be polite, even if they're Tories, you know, have a polite conversation with them. I'm always polite to Tory canvases on my door. However hard it is, I, you know, wait and tear up the leaflet after they've gone and draw and hit the moustache and the devil horns when they've gone. But uh, we have to be polite on the doorstep and have to be civilised about it. But 
usually I find people go, oh, right, well, I'm really decided at the moment. And then you say, are there any particular issues that are talk, you know, concerning you? And they say, oh, well, you've got to do something about those paving stones. And I go, that was, that was Thatcher, that was Thatcher. You know? But um, uh, you get all sorts of people who feel very passionately about sort of uh, very niche things sometimes. Um, and sometimes just the fact you've bothered to turn up, you know, you go away, they might, you, they, you might not persuade them on, the, on, the, on that moment, but they don't hear from anyone else. They think, well, they Labour bothered to come round. I'll, yeah, I'll try them, exactly. You know. And it's interesting. Well, one of the funniest conversations I heard was because um, most of the time people think I'll get the door slammed in my face. People and that does occasionally happen, but yeah. rarely. Most people, you know, sometimes be like I'm in the middle of something or anything yeah. like that. But um, there's this part. Stephen Pound. He's a he's, I know he's, Stephen. Yeah. yeah, he's a very witty yeah. Labour MP, and uh, he he once went he was canvassing and he knocked on the door and woke somebody up. I think he was mm. knocking relatively early. And the guy came and went, oh, what the fuck is this? Who's that fuck's knocking out my door? So Stephen Powell just said, very politely, it's just your local Conservative candidate <laughs> knocking on to try and get, court your vote, which is quite funny. That sounds, uh, that sounds like him. That's <laughs> no, I've, had, I've had someone going, you know, oh, a woman answering the door and going, I've only, I've only got Jim registered uh, here. Um, is, is he? No, she was in a negligee, you know. Oh, well, no, we're busy at the moment. Tell him to fuck off. Well, I'll just, I'll, I'll just see he's not up. He was dear a minute ago. Ah! <laughs> it's like, I'm so sorry to interview, in, interrupt you having sex in the middle of the afternoon. Either that, or they're, yeah, or they're or they're having a massive row. You know, there's all sorts. All of, both at the same yeah, time. Yeah, massive row, burying their partner under the patio. All sorts of things you can interrupt. And then there's the other thing of ringing on a intercom buzzer. Uh, you know, Labour camp, camp councillors worked hard to get these buzzers fitted to these flats to make them safer, and then you try and canvass them <laughs> to get the vote again. It's like, let's go to the party. Yeah, no, it was last night, mate. What? Uh, Neighbours party, it was last night. No, I'm canvassing for the Labour party. Whose party is it? It's like you've gone for about <laughs> half an hour like that. And, uh, uh, but all that said, you come away and you go back to the organiser and say, oh, number 27, they want a poster. Number 33, can they get a postal vote? And these things incrementally yeah. build up the vote and they get these results. And we've got, we've got the momentum small M and we've got momentum big M and we've got uh, all shades of the Labour Party going out and uh, making a difference with numbers. And I think, you know, the Tories should be scared. Because, I mean, it is the biggest political party, one of the biggest political parties in the Western world. I mean, the thing is now, which is, you know, one of the aims is to try and turn... Um, uh, you know, to turn that optimism and energy that exists into, into you know, to make it contagious. That's what we saw in the election. Because in elections, one of the big struggles is who can turn out their vote, vote the most, of course. Sure. Yeah. So that's why I can't, because people often like, well, I don't understand what, you know, what, why does it make a difference? And one of, the, one of the key things is you identify where Labour voters are, uh, so you can turn them out. But you can yeah. also find people who may be undecided. And you can either have a chat with them or, or you put them down as people. You can come and have another chat with, with the, or maybe the candidate will come and have a chat with them and, and, uh, yeah. and work on those. Yeah. I was just thinking, actually, though, Ellie, do you remember a funny conversation story we had in Hackney? You know, so sometimes oh, yeah. what we do yeah. is you ask, we often ask the style I, you know, do with canvassing is to go, um, I'm, I'm sorry to disturb you, you're just going for the local Labour Party. Um, um, I'm just out with your local candidates. So any issues, any, any concerns you have? What happened once, Ellie, when we both were canvassing together in Hackney and completely deadpan when we asked that question, what did the guy say? Noisy whores. He said, whores, noisy whores, deadpan. <laughs> Where'd you go with that? Okay. Where'd you That's go with that? Like, right, I'm oh, sorry okay. about the noisy whores that we introduced under the council's <laughs> noisy whores scheme. <laughs> what the hell was he talking about? Did you ever find out? He was talking about sex workers who were excessively oh. boisterous. They, okay. I did actually live on that street, and there were um, at the time there were sex workers living on that street that used to get into very passionate arguments. Okay. So, uh, so it wasn't based on nothing. It so, wasn't a surreal yeah. crossword clue or something. It, it, he was just shouting at you. Yeah. Was, <laughs> most of them on the street were like, "Oh, we kind of." 
we're all right with them being here because it's sort of a well-lit street, so it's quite safe, but um, could they please keep the noise down? Right, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a weird one. I mean, I've had things where, you know, they, you, they come to you with an issue that you don't know anything about and say, well, I should know about that and yeah. I'll come back to you. And they, they sort of like your honesty. And then they come to you with another one. You go, I don't know about that either. I'm really sorry. sorry. It's, it's rare though, isn't it, actually? Because people, the other thing people are always scared about, about they've never done it before, it'll be really yeah. scary is uh, I'll be put on the spot about some detailed yeah, policy. Yeah. But that doesn't happen. It's not like people are going, can you provide your costings for your school place no, policy? No. People are just like, I mean, you, people have a general, you know, might ask a general question, but it's it's, yeah. it's very rarely, it's really, not like you've got to be a wonk to do it. No, really, you're trying to identify the Labour vote. You're If you're out knocking on doors, your job is to find out who's voting Labour, who's not voting Labour, who's against us. And so on election night, we knock on certain doors and don't knock on other doors to remind them to vote and give them a lift if they need it or whatever. So I always went into it thinking, oh, I don't know what education policy is. I don't know what the latest housing policy is. But you just are you Labour or are you not Labour? And that's, you know, that's the data you're collecting. And it makes a massive difference on the night. If you can just get a target vote, if you hit that target vote, you'll win the seat. And if mm. you don't, you won't. And I actually... Sorry, interrupted you. I was going to say, I just remembered another story about when I was canvassing. I think I was actually with you. It was another time when we were canvassing. Dream team. You might remember this. And then I knocked at this door and it was opened by these three men who were all completely stoned. Oh, yeah, that's quite cool. And they were, like, really delighted that a young woman had, like, turned up on that doorstep. (laughs) And, and, um, And then, like, and then they were like, I was like, you know, I'm just with the local council. Have you got any issues that you're worried about? Or, you know, is there anything that you, that you want to talk about? And this guy was like, yeah, like, um, so they've just, like, planted some trees on our road. And um, I really think that they should have been apple trees because then um, we could have fed the whole community. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, where do you go with that? Yeah, Yeah. I'll feed that back, thanks. Yeah, I mean, the other thing you get is, um, I mean, once or twice I've had leaflets ripped up in my face. Or I've had, you know, um, uh, somebody chucking chucking screwed up leaflets after me. But it really happens, rare. by the way. No, it is really rare. And most of the time, you feel good when you've done it and you go back to the base and you all go to the pub together afterwards mm-hmm. and you share stories and suddenly you've made some new friends. And that was what's been great about, uh, you know, going to places like Eastie to stand there or when I stood in Maidenhead. You know, you, you, you meet a whole bunch of people and these, yeah, as I said before... Because you all go to the pub afterwards. You, of course you all go to the pub afterwards. But these are the people who are sort of making the difference in their communities. And even when I stood in little old Maidenhead with no chance of ever winning the seat or the council but guess who was also running the local charities guess who was running the Oxfam shop school governors setting up youth clubs it was all the Labour activists and the Labour Party was just a means by which they came together you know for that bit of their interest they were also doing loads of other great things in the town and uh, so they, these are the these are the sort of the ethics people yeah like when I was in Croydon Central um, we were knocking for the candidate Sarah Jones who took the seat off Gavin Barwell who was a Tory housing minister before yeah. that and um, on the uh, last day that we were there, I went round with a few friends who I'd been round with, with before. Um, one of them is uh, my friend Dan Hancock, who okay. is a journalist, uh, writes The Guardian sometimes. But um, the others were people that I'd met through Dan and didn't know. And on that day, there were a thousand Labour activists wow. out on the streets. So it was mad. And in fact, the most complaints that we got from people that opened the door to us was, there's three of you around today, have been around already, I'm voting Labour, stop asking me. Right. Because there were just so many of us. Yeah. And, then, and then obviously then the hung parliament happened. And then a couple of days later I went to the pub and saw the people that I'd canvassed in. And we yeah. all hugged like yeah. old oh, friends. Yeah, because we we'd achieved like, something yeah. amazing. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's a critical point that, that, you know, in the election, Labour had a very inspiring alternative. And obviously that's kind of important. But also, without that grassroots army, yeah. that, that massive movement of people... We would not be having a hung parliament now. We wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't. Labour wouldn't have got the biggest 
increasing the share of the vote uh, since climbing out in 1945. And the only way Labour can now win power whenever mm. there's this coalition chaos, to coin an expression, finally falls, um, is by is by those door knockers. And, and, and what's so, I think, important now, because actually the, the one thing you do sometimes get as a complaint on the doorstep is you only ever come around when there's elections yeah. on. Which is why, at the moment, that's what Momentum are doing this unseat campaign, is to go to constituencies where yeah. the Tory majority went down, um, in particular, or, or with a majority small, and, um, and, and to say, well, look, we're here to listen to you. We're yeah. here to whatever issues, you know, we're here, what, you know, it doesn't matter when an election's held. We're not just going to take you for granted and be there a few yeah. weeks before. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of approach to a kind of community-based kind of grassroots campaigning, being yeah. the hub of the community and, and being there to support people, you know, regardless. And that wins over people's faith and trust yeah. in the long term. Yeah, I mean, politics isn't just what happens on the telly, isn't it? It's what happens on the news. And the Labour Party isn't just, you know, what you see debated on Newsnight. Uh, so you have to try and make that connection for people that the standard of their local school, the fact that their health service, you know, is under threat and that their, their local... Uh, surgery might not be as good as it was. These are things that spring directly from what we're trying to do. And sometimes when people are a bit grumpy about coming around knocking on doors, I want to go, I'm not being paid for this, you know. I'm not doing it for just for my benefit. I'm doing it for all of us so that we have a better society we live in, we have a, your kids have a decent school and that we have some uh, uh, decent housing. Because um, there's a sort of sense that you're an employee of some sort of paid canvassing company sometimes people yeah. give you this sort of uh, snooty look of you know like you're some sort of uh, somebody coming around selling you know ironing board covers yeah. or something and you just <laughs> want to go you know this is uh, I just want we want people to pat you on the back really and they're never going to so you just have to accept that I like it though I I, I think it makes you feel part of something being yeah. actively involved in the Labour Party I've just started going back to my CLP again after just months of laziness and it's like, it makes you feel like rooted in a community yeah. and rooted in a movement. And it makes you feel like it's something real. Like, I think most of us go through our lives feeling like we can never really make any impact on politics. But actually being involved in your local party, yeah. it does make you feel like that. Absolutely. And you, and you get, also, you learn about your community. and You learn about the issues at schools mm. or, at, you know, uh, issues on the council. And what's happening with that empty housing block? And you can, you know, you find that some things are going on and people are trying to change things. And you meet some inspiring characters who made a real difference down the years. So there were local elections on at the moment. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting this because so people are aware these are, there were local elections each year, but it, it, this is just England, isn't it? I don't think there's any Scotland. Exactly. Scotland. Yeah. Exactly. And and in in various parts of so in London and Manchester, yeah. Birmingham and so on, Greater Manchester. Um, and these were seats last up for grabs in 2014, God, which is a different political epoch altogether. Oh, that's about 3,000 years ago, yeah. isn't it? I mean, that's before the Scottish independence referendum. Wow. It's before wow. the 2015 general election. It's before Corbyn. It's before Brexit. It's before Donald Trump. It is a different universe. That's amazing. Um, but back then, so, so it's interesting now because... Um, the expectations for Labour have been set very high, which I yeah. worry about. Which I'll see what people think about this. So, for example, take Wandsworth. Wandsworth has been Tory now for 40 years, four decades. Mm. Um, and there is Westminster Council, which has never been a Labour council in yeah. its history. Well, one seat off, I think. Once two or three seats yeah, off. Yeah, in the 80s it got relatively yeah. close, yeah. but it's always, yeah. it's never been a Labour health yeah. council. Uh, it's just that Kensington has never been a, a Labour council. Barnet has never been a Labour council. Okay. And then there are other places across the country which are up for grabs, like Plymouth, which is Tory-run, Trafford, which is Tory-run. And, and there's, because, you know, in London, let's just take London, because I'm a plastic northern, I've sold out my northern roots. Mm. Um, in London, Labour got the biggest share of the vote in the general election yes. of any party in the history of democracy in London. Wow. Um, so because of that, because in 1992, when Labour lost 
yeah. the general election, yeah. Labour lost in London. Oh, Labour, no, Labour, no, the biggest swing away from uh, Labour in any seat that election was from Labour in Battersea, where I was campaigning for Alf Dubs. And so we lost that seat by 800 and something votes in we, 87. Mm. And we were trying to get Alf Dubs back into Parliament. And it was the biggest swing against Labour in the whole country. And that's sort of do with that gentrification that mm. happened in London in the 80s and 90s. And now, Wandsworth, the idea of Wandsworth going Labour, God, that would be fantastic for that to happen. And it's not impossible. We know we gained tooting. Uh, no, sorry, we held on to Tooting. We won uh, Battersea. Won Battersea. And that was it, about uh, 8,000 majority for the Tories, and yeah. now it's 2,500. Yeah. For... No, and I didn't go and canvass in, in Battersea. I, mean, I went my, there a lot. I, I, went to the, I went to places we had to hold. I went to Tooting. <laughs> I went out to Hounslow and stuff, thinking this was going to be much tougher. I was not as optimistic as you. But uh, when I, mean, I was... Owen wasn't optimistic. <laughs> oh, I had my low points. But no, no, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in Battersea. I did two, two big yeah, campaign yes, days. Right, Clement Jackson, so and, well, yeah. and also Croydon. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but for me, as a... You know, things are going to get better. Has got Battersea Power Station on the front. It's about mm. me being an activist in Wandsworth, standing in Wandsworth. I stood in '90 when I was 28 years old, and we were wiped out with that low poll tax. The Tories set the lowest poll tax in the country, and we'd nearly won it in '86. We got more votes across the borough. Mm. We lost by one council seat, mm. and we're talking about making a difference. We're talking about um, activists. You know, is it worth going and knocking on doors? If mm. we just won West Hill in Putney, or if we just won uh, Ballam Ward, uh, the history of sort of Politics might have been a bit different, you know. Because it was Margaret Thatcher's favourite council. council. And all those uh, extra council houses wouldn't have been sold off in the way they were in Wandsworth. Alf Dubs probably wouldn't have lost in 87. You know, things would have been quite different in that part of the world. Um, so I'd love us to take Wandsworth back. It would be a real personal sort of, you know, uh, trophy for me and for thousands of other activists who've been through those, that borough. I mean, the same with me, because I'm the, I'm the grandson of, uh, you know, my, both my grandparents were very long-standing Wandsworth Labour activists. But it, I mean, I suppose the exp- you know because you see the Evening Standard run by, uh, of course, the editors George Osborne, the former Tory Chancellor of the Exchequer, and they are whipping up expectations, and and, and that works in three different ways. Yeah. Firstly, it gets to, it makes Tory voters go, ah, the Reds are coming, the Reds are coming, we've got yeah. to go out and vote. Yeah. Secondly, it makes Labour voters go, oh, it's in the bag, complacent, don't need to come out and vote now. Yeah. And thirdly, what it means is, however well Labour do and Labour will make gains, it will be seen as yeah. not quite. You yeah. know, they they didn't get the this, massive sweep. This they is got. what ha- this is what happened in '86. Labour did fantastically in the local elections in '86 when I was uh, first an activist in Wandsworth. And and um, the sort of spin doctors of Mandelson and Campbell and that under Kinnock's uh, leadership, took their eye off the ball when we'd won all those seats on that election night. And they didn't bother to ring up the, the editors and go, you've got to, got to hand it to us, this is a fantastic victory. Because Labour hadn't taken Wandsworth and Westminster, mm. the, the, the Tories were going, Kinnock poleaxed, uh, the Tories hold on to key, seat, key seats in London and Kinnock's failure exposed, whatever. And that was just so the opposite mm. of what had happened. But it just uh, expectation had been, been built up so high that it was perceived as a defeat, and that was just just the opposite of the truth. And a night that Labour made huge gains. So, you know, you're right to sort of manage expectations. And you know, we're, the change happens incrementally. You, you know, gains happen incrementally. But we you know, we made a huge leap at the last election. It's to keep balance, though, isn't it? Because what you want to do, what, one of the things we're doing at the moment, we want to get people yeah. to come out door knock and get yeah. keys. It's like, we can win these places. We can yeah. win them. But equally, you don't want to end up in a situation where people feel complacent because, particularly in local elections, it is about who can turn out their votes the most. Yeah. Turnout tends to be low and much lower in local yeah. elections than general elections, and the people who are most likely to come out and vote tend to be. Older, more affluent voters. Yes. When we know generationally now the division yeah. in politics is yes. more acute than ever. So if we saw actually the local elections last year, it looked like Labour were facing absolute oblivion at the general yeah. election. Then yeah. four weeks later, they got a massive 
Now, I'm saying the manifesto came in then and there were lots of other factors, yeah. but nonetheless, it was interesting that Labour voters were significantly less likely to turn out to vote, weren't they, in a that local? Was, that was why I was so pessimistic about the general, because it, the local elections had looked so catastrophic for us that the idea that four weeks later we'd have a 10% increase on what Ed Miliband achieved is, it was unthinkable. And so, you know, that's the... That's the happy ending to things can only get worse. There's me thinking that we were going to be... When I started writing that book, it was the first book I'd ever written without a happy ending. Mm. It was like, oh, my God, we go from Labour in power, you know, Labour landslide to Labour defeat, Trump, Brexit, and suddenly these elections happened. Thanks, Theresa May. Yeah. <laughs> you gave me a happy ending in my book. You put a question mark on things can only get <laughs> Maybe worse. Maybe he was finally uh, repaying you from yeah. beating you in Maidenhead. Yeah, she was yeah. like, don't worry, John. Yeah, she, I've, got, was, I've got it planned. I've got it all when, set when, up when, when, we, um, when we were standing in the uh, town hall in the, the, the leisure centre in Maidenhead, and uh, you know that bit at the end of election when the uh, returning officer comes across and shows you the spoiled ballot papers in case you argue about any of them. And one had crossed out all the candidates and put none of them are left wing enough. And Theresa May went, well, I don't think they can have met John O'Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> Which I shall take as a sort of trophy. I wish I'd kept it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Like, it's so weird, like the sort of cycle of politics. That yeah. Who could have predicted that in 2017 you'd be like a best-selling author? Well, yeah. She'd be in a hostage situation with her own party. But I never thought she'd be prime minister. You know, you meet impressive politicians on both sides. You know, whatever you think of sort of uh, Portillo or Brown, these people with big brains and ideas and sort of mm -hmm. when you meet them, you go away thinking, OK, they've got a lot to offer. But when I met her, I just thought, she'll never get very far. And there she is in, in, in Downing Street. And that's the sort of nature of modern politics. We've got, you know, an idiot in the, an idiot in the White House, uh, an ineffective sort of... Uh, manager, manager in, in Downing Street, and um, it makes it, it's, it's a terrifying thought that anybody I know would be a better president of the United States than the one we have at the moment. It's like Keir the cat here on the table would be a better uh, president. Excuse me, you say that, oh, that's a low bar. Keir would be a fantastic <laughs> in his own right president be, of the United States. He was named after Keir Hardy. He was, but he's, he's just sitting here being very. He's, no, literally he's right. He's actually like sat up as though he knows that he's being talked. He's about. just sitting with us, just yeah. listening, but, fascinated but, about campaigning and grassroots campaigning. When you're a kid, though, you look at the sort of leaders of the world and you think, what amazing people they must be. And now we've just got such unimpressed impressive people in charge yeah. of everything and it's terrifying that's why the other thing that might happen with activism and you know people volunteering for these local elections is you might find politics is your thing you might find that talking to a room full of people at a general management committee or whatever is something that you show me age there general committee uh is um uh is something that you have a talent for and maybe politics is the way you want to go you don't only know when you try it because it's hopefully one of the ways we'll get a more representative parliament because yeah. at the moment it's still dominated by men uh, by people from relatively affluent backgrounds, by, uh, you know, in terms of a lack of, you know, people, particularly working class women um, and people from black and minority ethnic backgrounds. But the good thing about grassroots campaigning is you can hopefully get people who are like, I'm passionate about my community. I want to change things. I want to yeah. change the world as well, for that matter. Yeah. And then you get them, you know, there, don't you? I think Labour will make, you know, in terms of the local elections, it really is a case of if you, if you want Labour to do well, because lots of people will be... Right now, they'll be thinking, oh, I really want Labour to do well, because what that will do, particularly, it's been, you know, it's been a difficult period for Labour, but it will be the sense of, look, the Tories are on the run, they're rattled, it will it will put the Tories on the back foot, uh, as well as getting great Labour councillors and Labour councillors yeah. elected. But the only way of that happening is by people listening to this, to not just go, oh, fingers crossed, yeah. but to come and campaign. And as I've said, you know, when I do this, I do this constantly now, um, we're doing this massive run seat campaign, do look it up and on my Facebook page and so on and, and, and come along because 
you'll find what I find is it's the friendliest people, people yeah. who've never voted before. I was out yesterday in Oxford, and this woman, this young woman, who basically I bumped into in the street around the corner. She just said, oh, she came up to me. And then, you know, about she said she'd vaguely seen about campaigning. So I was like, come and join us in Wandsworth. So she came to Wandsworth, her first ever time ever knocking on doors. And she got so, she loved it so much. She met all these people, swapped numbers, hung out in the pub, that she travelled all the way to Oxford Aww. in order to campaign for Labour again. And it just shows Fantastic. that, you know, it really is just the, the way we're going to, yeah. you know, it, it, this isn't like the weather. These are not things out of our control. That if people come out and campaign in Wandsworth, and Westminster and Barnet or in Trafford in, or Plymouth yeah, yeah. or Portsmouth um, then Labour has a chance of, of, of making huge gains and that could change as you just said that could change the course of politics yeah, depending it, on how well you never know. Are. you never know what, what, you know what little difference you might make um, and, but you know you're right all around the country there are people doing things like this I, in, a, in a sort of you know, a pathetic attempt to plug, plug my book because it's coming out in paperback I said a free copy to your, your nominated candidate who's been working really hard I tweeted that and I was sort of deluged with people saying oh this bloke goes out in all weathers on his own he helped uh, uh, win us this award which never we never had a chance of this, these two women went, and went in the BMP areas and canvassed non-stop and leafleted and um these people are sort of heroes in their own way. They just keep going, even when you don't stand, a, you think you don't stand a chance. And then eventually, after lots of campaigns, you might you might sort of win a seat for Labour. Um, but it's it's uh, you first time you go along. I remember the nerves thing is just the thing you just have to feel the fear and do it anyway. I remember when I, when I was um, in America in two thousand and eight, and I thought I want to do something for Obama, so I just went along to the Democratic HQ in in this bit of Los Angeles I was in. And I said, I said, I thought, I thought, I volunteer on the food bar. I mean, I'll just instead of going on the phones, because I've got an English accent, I didn't know how that would go down. So I spent some time serving people and going around with sandwiches for everyone who was phoning swing states. And it took me about half an hour to go. Oh, come on, John, just do it. Just get on the phones. And it, so you start off with a you know, helping one way. If you can start off with leafleting, you might just want to leaflet some doors. And then you end up and you think, oh, I want to go to the next yeah. stage. And you start. I started ringing up people, and it was like one bloke. You know, both parties spent a billion dollars promoting the campaign. He goes, "What election? What's that?" Yeah. <laughs> it's like really You've not heard about yeah. this in your in your own state. So you know, you are the person who tells them there's a presidential election happening. And uh, I had one guy once who said they didn't. They were like, "I don't, I don't understand what an election is." Yeah, I mean, it's, I know people are yeah. odd, but there are people in this country. Yeah. I mean, because we don't have political education in schools properly, of course. But people, some people don't actually understand the process of voting. I mean, it, no. it really is, and they feel nervous, and they feel nervous, and they feel that. Um, uh, that they might do it wrong, so you're just giving people confidence as well, and you're, you know. Oh well, I had one recently. I, I get. I mean, speaking to people who have never voted before is one of my favourite things, and I, I've yeah. spent quite a lot of time talking to them or people who are unsure. But there was one woman; she was just like they're all the same, rah, rah. and then she told me about basically she's disabled and her uh, her personal independence payments was you know being yeah. cut or under attack, and I had to explain to her, you know, because she's like politicians all the say that actually obviously there's a massive that Labour are standing up against disability cuts and challenges yeah, yeah. and then she you know she was in her late 50s and she said she was going to go and vote for the first time in her entire life fantastic that's and great. that just shows how you know yeah. you know that's how you know we want to there was always this idea and some people I think in the Labour hierarchy made there was this glib kind of comment which was before the general election which is non-voters don't vote because one of the strategies that the left presented was expand the electorate. It's actually, yeah. whatever people think about Obama's politics, that is what Obama did in, in, in 2008. Yeah, yeah. You don't just go, the electorate is what it is. You go, well, actually, in his case, young, more younger yeah. Americans, more African-Americans yeah. uh, to come out and vote. And it was the same, you know, that there were non-voters 
who are, you know, that's not an eternal status that people have. Yeah. There are people who are disillusioned with politics, but have lots, because everything is political, but they have issues they care about, who, and the link is not being made between yeah. their agency and, and, and in terms of the power they potentially have to, to, to challenge those things. That's what politics is. It's an organised attempt to correct the ills of society from a left-wing perspective. Um, and uh, yeah, and she came. Up with, I mean, those for me, are the mo- that is the most that. important. I had a go when I was standing in Maidenhead. It was like, uh, when I was canvassing on the sort of you know, the only sort of rough bit of Maidenhead, and this bloke said, oh, "I'll vote for anyone who can get me my free glasses." I've, I'm supposed to have free spectacles, and they said, "I'm on, I can't have them because I'm not on income support. I'm on, mm. I'm not an incapacity benefit. I'm on income support or something." I mean, oh, do you know what? I really don't know anything about that, but I, I, I'll have a look for you if you want. He goes, "Well, you're the." Uh, you're the candidate, you know, you'll be able to get them for me, won't you? I said, look, I'm not even an MP, I'm not even a councillor, yeah. but I'll, I'll, I'll promise I'll, I'll write a letter or something. And I found out they we should have been had his free glasses and I sent off a letter. And then on election night, we knock on peop- the doors of people who might vote for us. And this bloke went, ah, you're the bloke who said, I said I'd vote for if you got my free glasses. And I went, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I did write a letter, I really did. He goes, I know, and look, here they are. Wow. And they list, they list all your letter and it made them check and I've got my free glasses and I'm going to use them and I'm going to go and vote for you. Oh, amazing. And I, thought that's, and I suddenly thought that's what it's all about. Those yeah. councillors you're electing are fighting little battles for yeah. people all around the country. Um, you know, you don't know what those Labour councillors, the difference they're making for people in yeah. ordinary lives. Local councillor down the road from me, told me a story about this woman came to him and said, I'm in a one-bedroom flat and I want to adopt uh, this child, but I, they won't let me have it because I've got a one-bedroom flat. And he, she went to the council and said, they won't give me a two-bedroom flat because I haven't got a child. Mm-hmm. And he just sort of banged the heads together, these two agencies, and said, listen, she wants to adopt, give her a bigger flat. And then mm-hmm. uh, and, and they, they he made it work. And this, these little battles are being fought by ordinary people, you know, for ordinary people, all the time by Labour councillors. And you won't know the difference you make by helping those Labour councillors get elected. So basically, whether you canvass or not, you should canvass, please campaign, please, please join me. Uh, the weather's great for it now, um, but you should definitely get uh, John's book, Things Can Get Worse, question mark. And the answer to that is, of course, that they won't, but only if we campaign to change the world. Yeah. But it is a brilliant book. He's a brilliant writer. He's so funny. Very well observed. It's a very funny book. Oh, if if you can read nice. about politics, you know, just that's the sort of book you should read, really. My friend Zoe's reading it, and every now and then she reads bits of it out. Oh, that's very nice. Good, good for you, Zoe. Kid uh, does the same to me, actually. The cat reads the cat. <laughs> yeah, cat yeah, yeah. Is, He's like, cat. Yeah. 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 That's what he's chatting about. Yeah. He's chatting Just about. don't ever stand for Parliament where your mum and dad live. That's <laughs> yeah. my advice <laughs> to everyone listening. Great, just avoid that. But yeah. uh, look, uh, you've been an absolute uh, pleasure to, to be here. And okay. I hope it does encourage people to go out and be part of the movement and, and try and change the country forever. But uh, So, John... Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Hero. Oh, and, uh, and yeah, we will see you next time. Well, we won't see you, um, Ellie. Like, uh, we could yeah. do. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. In your face, Owen. Well, that's backfired, isn't it? As per. <laughs> Embarrass yourself again. Again. That's just a, an hourly sort mm. of feature of my existence, really. Well, uh, lots of love, everyone. If that's not too kind of full on. It is too full on, but we'll just move past it and pretend it didn't happen. Bye. Bye. Thanks very much. Bye. But I don't worry about a thing. Cause I know nothing's going to be alright